Today is Thursday, June 16th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I am Chine Rofo in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour, the U.S. unveils a billion-dollar weapons package for Ukraine as fighting intensifies in the East. At the White House, National Security Council Strategic Communications Coordinator John Kirby says there will likely be additional help from the United States depending on the changing needs of the Ukrainian military. A fresh river violence uproots thousands in Cabo Delgado, northern Mozambique. Very, very violent incidents such as rape, killing, beheadings in some cases, and other forms of extreme violence. And the British government vows to organize more flights to deport asylum seekers to Rwanda. We'll have these stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. In a phone call on Wednesday, U.S. President Joe Biden informed Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky the United States is sending an additional $1 billion worth of military aid to Kyiv as it continues to defend itself against Russia's invasion. More from VOA's chief national correspondent Steve Herman in Washington. The additional weaponry Washington is sending to the Ukrainians includes a coastal defense system, additional artillery, and more ammunition for rockets. At the White House, National Security Council Strategic Communications Coordinator John Kirby says there will likely be additional help from the United States depending on the changing needs of the Ukrainian military. We want to meter it out so that we're in lockstep with the Ukrainians and where they are on the battlefield and what they need in real time. Other countries are to make additional commitments to Ukraine, according to U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin at a NATO meeting in Brussels. Steve Herman, VOA News, Washington. In a conference call on Wednesday, Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov said that communication remains, quote, essential, unquote, in relations with the United States amid tensions over Russia's continuing war in Ukraine. Relations between Russia and the West were already at one of their lowest points since the end of the Cold War, even before Moscow sent tens of thousands of troops into Ukraine in what it calls a, quote, special military operation, unquote. UN investigators who have completed a first visit to Kyiv say information gathered over the past 10 days indicates the probability that war crimes and crimes against humanity are likely to have been committed by invading Russian forces. This is line reports for VOA from Geneva. The UN Human Rights Council created the three-member Commission of Inquiry in May to investigate alleged violations and abuses of human rights in war-torn Ukraine. During its visit, the Commission gave priority to four specific regions, Bucha, Irpin, Kharkiv, and Sumy, the sites of some of the worst atrocities committed in late February and March. Commission Chair Eric Moss has described the first visit as very productive, but added it was too early to make any factual findings. However, subject to further confirmation, the information received and the visited sites of destruction may support claims that serious violations of international human rights law and international humanitarian law, perhaps reaching war crimes and rape, crimes against humanity have been committed in the areas. Mo says the commission received information about the arbitrary killing of civilians, destruction and looting of property, and attacks on civilian infrastructure, including schools. 
Commission member Jasminka Zumpur says many people shared painful stories of loss. She says the commission received testimony from internally displaced people about the destruction and looting of civilian property, the mistreatment and disappearances of civilians, and about rapes and other forms of sexual abuse. She says the impact of the war on children, many of whom have been separated from families, is of great concern. It considers it necessary to investigate further reports about the alleged transfer of children placed in institutions in temporarily occupied territories to the Russian Federation, as well as information about expedite citizenship and adoption processes for some of these children. The investigators plan further visits to other parts of Ukraine in coming months to gather information and evidence of abuse. They say their findings will be presented to the Human Rights Council in September. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. A fresh wave of violence has uprooted thousands of villagers in Cabo Delgado province in northern Mozambique amid violence attacks in the district of Ankuabi a previously safe place that had been hosting large numbers of families already displaced from other districts. Bresh Van Leith is Save the Children's Country Director in Mozambique. She describes to VOA's Carol Van Dam the brutal violence that has occurred between June 2nd and 9th in northern Mozambique. They have been describing in the past days are actually the scenes that people have been describing since the start of this conflict. And those are very, very violent incidents such as rape, killing, beheadings in some cases, and other forms of extreme violence. When you say beheadings, what kind of weapons are they using? They are using machetes. Do you know who is attacking who in this conflict? The the conflict is in the north of the country by a series of non-state armed groups uh, going around to attack villages and villagers. Who are the exact perpetrators? We don't know. For outsiders, though, can you try to describe why these men, we're assuming they're men, going into these villages and just attacking what would seem to be innocent, unarmed people? There is no critical answer to that question as yet. What we can say is there is a complex underlying situation in another country that may trigger the conflict, but there is no such claims as to what the attackers want or specifically why they're attacking villages or villagers. What what we are worried about, obviously, is the way in which it happens, but also the extreme effects on families and on children. What can you tell us about the kind of people who were displaced by this latest violence in, is it called Ankoabi? Right. The latest attacks were both in Ankuabe district as well as Chiure and Michufe. Those are districts in the southern part of Cabo province. And these are the first of its kind in those southern districts. Up until now, uh, most attacks uh, we've seen were in the north of the province. It's coming closer south as we recently, yes. You mentioned that Ankuabi was previously considered a safe to save the children know what happened. What we do know is that the situation at the moment is becoming more unpredictable. The attacks are becoming smaller in nature and more dispersed and seem to be coming more south. Das Brej van Leith, Save the Children's Country Director in Mozambique, speaking with my colleague Carol Van Dam from the capital Maputo. The warring sites in Ethiopia appear closer to talks after Tigrayan rebels announced they were ready to attend Kenya-hosted negotiations. This statement came after Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed on Tuesday said the government will form a committee to negotiate with the Tigrayan side. 
Her weekend speaks to the government, politicians and analysts about remaining challenges for peace talks in this report from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. A Minister Abiy's announcement to lawmakers that a committee would be set up to negotiate with the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front is a sign that peace talks aimed at ending Ethiopia's civil war could be imminent. Analysts and lawmakers, however, have said that in order for negotiations to be effective, actors other than the TPLF and national government must be at the table. According to Desalen Chane, a member of parliament with the national movement of Amhara Party, this should include proper representation for the Amhara region and Ethiopia's northern neighbour Eritrea, both of which have played active roles in the fighting. A peace process that does not ensure proper representation of all parties in the conflict is destined to fail. Amharas and Eritreans will resort to defending their own interests if the federal government decides to ignore their interests. I think Kavi should understand the legitimate concerns of the Amharas as well as the Eritreans and invite them into the negotiating table. He added that the government has not given assurance of this kind so far. Salamawit Kassa is the State Minister for the Federal Government's Communications Service. She told VOA that the committee will take over the whole process of negotiations. The government has also formed a National Dialogue Commission to bring a broad-based inclusive public dialogue that encourages a national consensus. She went on to say Ethiopia. They will also stand together to bring peace. The federal government has uh, formed a committee to oversee the peace process in Tigray um, and uh, this effort ensures inclusivity of Ethiopians as a whole. As for the TPLF, who will mediate the talks is vital, it seems. Its spokesperson said in a statement Tuesday that the leadership of the African Union Commission has yet to win back the rebel group's trust and that the closeness of the AU's high representative to the Ethiopian Prime Minister has not gone unnoticed. On this basis, it said we hold firm in the existing agreement among the parties to meet in Nairobi for negotiations hosted and facilitated by the President of Kenya. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Egypt, Israel and the European Union signed a gas deal Wednesday in which Egypt would export Israeli liquefied natural gas to Europe via two Egyptian LNG plants. The Memorandum of Understanding was inked at the East Mediterranean Gas Forum in Cairo Wednesday, expanding ongoing gas cooperation between the three partners. Edward Uranian reports for VOA from Cairo. Representatives of the participants attending the East Med Gas Forum in Cairo Wednesday applauded the announcement that Egypt would export Israeli LNG to Europe via several Egyptian LNG plants, which experts say have already been sending natural gas to Europe in recent months. Egypt is the only country in the East Med Gas Forum to have plants that can produce liquefied natural gas. Egyptian political sociologist Saeed Sadiq tells VOA that the announcement of the gas deal formalizes cooperation between the EU, Egypt and Israel that has been going on for several months. This is a memo of understanding between Egypt, Israel and the EU that they would increase the gas production from Israel and Egypt uh, would process it and make it liquefied and export it to the EU. Already this is going on, a lot of things have been going on in the last few months in the gas field between Egypt, Israel and the EU. Now this is just to add more. 
Sadek goes on to say that the U.S. is currently trying to negotiate a settlement to the maritime territorial dispute between Israel and Lebanon so that the gas in the disputed sector can be used as part of the current deal with the EU. Al Jazeera TV reported that Russia cut exports of its natural gas to Europe Wednesday as a sign of displeasure at the deal signed in Cairo. Paul Sullivan, a Washington-based energy analyst at the Atlantic Council, tells VOA that the deal between the EU, Egypt, and Israel to export LNG to the EU is one way the European Union can continue to extract itself from what he called over-reliance on Russian gas, and that this could benefit both Israel and Egypt economically and strategically. Edward Uranian for VOA News, Cairo. In other news, the British government is vowing to organize more flights to deport asylum seekers to Rwanda after a last-minute court judgment grounded the first plane due to takeoff. Home Secretary Pritchard Patel said in his words, quote, preparations for the next flight begins now, unquote. This despite court's ruling that none of the migrants earmarked for deportation could be sent to the East African country. The UK government plans to send some migrants who arrived in the UK as throwaways or in small boats on a one-way trip to Rwanda. The plan has faced heavy criticism. The European Court of Human Rights ruled late Tuesday that those aboard the first flight due to depart faced what it called, quote, a real risk of irreversible harm, unquote. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You are listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedorfo in Washington. The UN Human Rights Office warns that scale and magnitude of violations committed by Myanmar's junta against civilians last year could amount to crimes against humanity and war crimes. The UN Human Rights Council held an interactive dialogue on the contents of the report Tuesday. Again, Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. In her oral update on conditions in Myanmar, UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Michelle Bachelet called for action to bring Myanmar's generals to account and return the country to democratic rule. She told the council that the lives and future of Myanmar's people are hanging in the balance. Since the coup in February 2021, she said at least 1,900 people have been killed and one million internally displaced. She also said the military coup has crippled Myanmar's economy. Millions of people have lost their jobs, and 14 million are in urgent need of humanitarian assistance. She said the junta has intensified its military operations and violence in several ethnic states, amplifying the suffering of civilians. Local residents are often detained and in some cases may have been forcibly disappeared or used as human shields. A well-documented tactic of the military is the burning of entire villages, residential buildings, schools, houses of worship, and other objects specially protected under international humanitarian law. She said the persecution of the Rohingya Muslim community in Rakhine State continues, making the return of nearly one million Rohingya who have taken refuge in Bangladesh unrealistic. High Commissioner Bachelet has criticized international efforts to rein in the military's recklessly violent behavior as largely ineffective. She said sustained and concrete action must be taken to stem the violence. 
I urge all member states, particularly those with the highest level access and influence, to intensify their pressure on the military leadership. Available measures include placing increased restrictions targeting military control, financial holdings, and business interests, and limiting their access to foreign currencies to restrict their ability to purchase military equipment and supplies. Myanmar was stripped of its right of reply at the Council. It was not able to respond to the High Commissioner's report because the United Nations does not recognize the legitimacy of Myanmar's military leadership. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. A massive, fast-growing black hole more luminous than previously discovered phenomena had been discovered by an international team led by astronomers in Australia. Scientists say the black hole consumes the equivalent of one Earth every second and shines 7,000 times brighter than all the lights from our own galaxy. From Sydney, Phil Mercer reports. Researchers were looking for unusual stars when they came across a supermassive black hole. It consumes the equivalent of one Earth every second and has the mass of three billion suns. The team led by the Australian National University believes it was obscured by the lights of the Milky Way. The discovery was made using the SkyMapper telescope at Siding Spring Observatory near Coonabarabran in New South Wales. To take a more detailed look, the team went to the South African Astronomical Observatory's 1.9-metre telescope in Cape Town. Christopher Onken from the Australian National University is the study's lead researcher. He says astronomers have been searching for these types of objects without success for more than 50 years. What we found is what appears to be the most luminous growing black hole in the last 9 billion years of the history of the universe. People have been looking for these kinds of objects for almost 60 years. And this one escaped its notice probably because it was just a little bit too close to the plane of the Milky Way, where there's so many stars that often it's hard to follow up all of the objects that you might find. And so this one had been just outside the range that had been surveyed in the past. Black holes are parts of space where matter has collapsed in on itself. Their light comes from a ring of gas, dust and stars that circles the black hole, known as an accretion disk. Astronomers hope this rare find will offer tantalising clues about the formation of galaxies. The ancient black hole is so astonishingly bright that it should be visible to well-equipped amateur stargazers. The Australian-led research is continuing. The team also discovered... Another 80 growing black holes. Phil Mercer for VOA News, Sydney. This is Science in a Minute. Earth's magnetic field protects us from the continuous onslaught of dangerous and highly charged space particles and radiation. A 2020 investigation revealed that there is an unusually weak spot in the magnetic field called the South Atlantic Anomaly, located above South America. In past studies, it's been proposed that the magnetic field is due to reverse its polarity. North Pole would become the South Pole and vice versa. However, a new study led by Lund University in Sweden suggests that the current changes in the magnetic field aren't unique and that a pole reversal may not happen anytime soon. 
NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center says the poles last flipped about 780,000 years ago, and according to the fossil record, it had no significant effect on living organisms. I'm VOA's Rick Pantaleo. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me for a special edition of PCUSA with guest award-winning historian and author Jesse Holland as he takes us on the journey of how the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act was signed into law this year and will examine the legacy of Juneteenth, a celebration of freedom for many African Americans. Join me for PCUSA this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Go beyond the daily headlines with VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. Each weekday at 2105 UTC, join me, Steve Miller, as I put the latest developments into a global context with interviews and analysis. Listen online at voanews.com slash flashpoint or in your favorite podcast player. And to all our VOA listeners, please note we have moved our programs to a new website, voaafrica.com, from voanews.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com, and thanks for listening. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of the entire production team, thank you so much for listening. Visit our website for in-depth coverage of all events and news 24 hours a day at voaafrica.com. Until next time, I am Chinedofo in Washington. Have a wonderful day. An editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. Palestinians in Gaza face harsh living and economic conditions under Hamas, even as the terrorist group has amassed hundreds of millions in a secret investment portfolio. Hamas maintains a violent agenda that harms both Israelis and Palestinians. The United States is committed to denying Hamas the ability to generate and move funds and holding it to account for its role in promoting and conducting terrorist acts. That's why the U.S. Department of the Treasury's Office of Foreign Assets Control, or OFAC, designated a Hamas finance official as well as an expansive network of three Hamas financial facilitators and six companies that have generated revenue for the terrorist group through the management of an international investment portfolio. The individuals and companies listed below are being designated under Executive Order 13224 as amended, which targets terrorists, leaders, and officials of terrorist groups and those providing support to terrorists or acts of terrorism. Ahmed Sharif Abdallah Ode was in charge of Hamas's international investment portfolio until 2017 and subsequently oversaw the investment portfolio on behalf of Hamas's Shura Council. In mid-2017, Usama Ali was appointed as head of the investment office, a position from which he coordinated financial transfers to Hamas. Hisham Yunus Yahya Kafisha served as Usama Ali's deputy and played an important role in transferring funds on behalf of various companies linked to Hamas's investment portfolio. 
and a company, Aggregate Holding, Trend GYO, and Al Rawad Real Estate Development are all linked directly or indirectly to Hamas. Moreover, Sidar Company and Itkan Real Estate JSC both appeared to operate as legitimate businesses, but in practice were controlled by Hamas and transferred money to the group. And finally, Abdallah Yusuf Faisal Sabri is an accountant who has worked in the Hamas finance ministry for several years. These designations target the individuals and companies that Hamas uses to conceal and launder funds, said Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Terrorist Financing and Financial Crimes, Elizabeth Rosenberg. The United States is committed to denying Hamas the ability to generate and move funds and to holding Hamas accountable for its role in promoting and carrying out violence in the region. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. Thank you.